0: I have to confess, before I start, um, I stand here quite nervous today, actually, because just hearing Paul read that absolutely, mag- all is magnificent, isn't it? But there's some Scripture which really touches hearts, and um, uh, when you're preaching on a piece of Scripture like this, which I believe is just absolutely awesome, um, I feel a bit nervous. So pray for me. In late April, I was travelling to work when I was taken off a train in Stratford with all the symptoms of a fairly significant heart problem or incident and taken to hospital in an ambulance. Thankfully, I've been given the all clear, but I had to take a few days of enforced rest. It was something that didn't come very naturally. But actually, once it started, it was fantastic to just check out of life Rest in God. I prayed. I read God's word and I did gardening. And in my quiet time, I found myself reading John 17. and was completely blown away by how much Jesus spoke to me using these words that I must have read a thousand times before. But suddenly, it began to speak volumes into my life. And give some perspective of God's plans for me. It was a really lovely time. And my hope and my prayer is that I can share some of these things today with you. So that you may also be blessed and encouraged and revitalized in a way that Jesus Christ, the lover of our souls, can only ever do. So the backdrop of this chapter is that Jesus is experiencing some of his last hours on earth in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus decides to spend these last moments in prayer. And what I believe the overarching theme of this prayer shows is the very heart of Jesus, his concern for those around him. And it's this concern and his desires for the disciples that I do want to speak about today. So the first part, Jesus prays for himself. Do you know, this prayer is just so unbelievably um, rich that I think to give it a really full uh, explanation and to really explore it, you need to do a whole series on it. I've only got one sermon. So I want to begin by looking at Jesus' prayer for himself, but because of time, I'm only going to look at two statements, one right at the beginning and one almost at the end. Jesus opens his prayer for himself with this phrase, Father, my time has come. Quite often, Jesus, or John, uses this expression, my time has not yet come, throughout John. The first time Jesus uses it is right at the beginning, in John chapter 2, at the wedding in Cana, in Jesus' first miracle, where he is encouraged by his mother to help the groom as they've run out of wine. And he turns around and said to his mother, my time has not yet come. And when Jesus uses this expression, he was referring to his death and resurrection. But now in the garden, he knew that his ministry was almost over, that his time has come, and that soon he would face his death and resurrection, that everything in his ministry that had gone on before was pointing at what would happen at the next few days over the next few days father my time has come this is the very beginning of the prayer but look at the end or one of the end statements and it closes with i have bought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do verse four i have bought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do For me, facing the checks around my heart, it made me think what my final prayer on earth will be. And I found myself asking the question, honestly, will it be like these bookends? Father, my time has come. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And at the moment, I stand here before you and confess that I'm not so certain At the time, I believe my prayer will be more like, I regret that I didn't live life to the full as you commanded. I did my own thing for far too long. Critically, I've not finished what you asked of me to do in my life. And this is something, this is something that I'm doing battle with right now and slowly, gently, mercifully. God is changing me. I'm not standing here. I'm not saying that God's plan for my future is absolutely clear to me. No, not at all. But what has happened in my life over this period is that he's brought me to a place where I've said, come, put me on the path that you want me to take in my life. I want to reach the end and declare, just like Jesus did, it is finished. I've bought you glory by completing the works that you have enabled me to do. And I've had to say, I've found my heart racing, though now it's through excitement by a future that I don't quite understand rather than an unknown illness. And I know it sounds left afield, field, but I found myself crying as I listened to music. And this season, this spring, has felt particularly sweet to me. Why? Well, because he loves me so much that he's drawn close. He loves me so much that he's used or created a situation which has brought me to a place where, first of all, I've acknowledged my sin, I've asked for forgiveness. And I'm asking him to put me on the path that he wants me to take. To sum up, for me, I've made a decision that I want to reach the end of my days here on earth. To go to heaven, to lift my eyes to Christ and be able to say with victory, it is finished. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. And after he's prayed for himself, he then goes on to pray for those who are left behind, his disciples, and then people like you and I. But what did Jesus pray for here? What were his concerns? What can we take from them? Again, you could do a whole series on this, but I believe God has plans for us. And these are shown in uh, this prayer. And these are the four key points that I would like to make. God's plan for us to look after our children. God's plan for us to be protected from the evil one. God's plan for us to be sanctified. God's plan for us to be united. God's plan for us to look after our children. Next slide. As I've just said, Jesus goes on to pray for his disciples. He knows he is soon to leave, that his time has come, and his focus, his concern, are on those who will be left behind. He says, I have revealed you to those you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me. They have obeyed your word. And further on, in verse 8, it says, I gave them the words you gave me. Jesus' disciples were incredibly precious to him. Just two chapters before, in John um, 15, 9, Jesus writes, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. The love the Father, God the Father, has for Jesus the Son, is the same as the love that Jesus has for his disciples. And today is Father's Day, and I just want to make a point about our prayers and our actions for our children and our church children. As I read these few verses, three key questions based on these words came to mind that I've been asking myself, and I intend to ask myself on a regular basis. And I think it's worth sharing um, with you, and perhaps all Christian parents should be asking these three questions of themselves. One, one, Are we giving thanks to God for our children? Just as Jesus acknowledges the disciples as a gift from God, do we acknowledge our children as a gift from God? Number two, are we reading the Bible with them? Are we giving the words that Jesus gave us in the Bible by reading with them every day, instilling into them the stories of the Bible? And three, Critically, I believe, do our actions reflect what we profess to believe in? Dads, how do you speak with your spouses or your children in the family home, and mums? You know, dads, mums, I, and I include myself in this, and I'm not very wise in this area, as Zoe and Maya and Louis and Noah can attest to. But what I've realised, particularly now being the father of, of a teenager is that the time we have where we can sit and read the Bible with our children as parents is limited in years I'm challenged and I hope you are too to take every opportunity so that we can look back on these years on our parenting lives and pray I've revealed the words you gave me to those out of this world I gave them the words you gave me Even if the child decides not to profess the faith that we as parents have, I have revealed your words to those you gave me out of this world. I gave them the words you gave me. I really believe our our actions as parents and carers really matter to God. I think this is a really important issue. For those who were here on, uh, on Wednesday for the All Nations talk, Andy Dipper was speaking. He's the, um, I think he's the CIO of All Nations. And he was speaking about mission. And he said one thing that really jumped out of me. He said, we are just one generation from the church becoming extinct. If we're trying to work out what path we should be taking and you still have children under your care... The nurturing them and doing everything you can to hand over that baton of your faith is absolutely central, I believe, to God's plan for yours and mine life. Next slide. God's plan for us to be protected from the evil one. We jump down to verse 15 now. Jesus continued to pray. My prayer is not that you take them out of this world, but that you protect them from the evil one. God has plans for his disciples, and that plan is that he wanted them to live here on earth, living the gospel with those who do not know it. But I think it's really interesting to see what he doesn't say. What Jesus doesn't pray is that his disciples live long lives. That they go home every night to their wives and families after a hard day. That they have good jobs. He prays, protect them from the evil one. But why? Well, I think it's because Jesus knows that Satan wants nothing more than to see God's kingdom suffer. To make God's people ineffective is a massive victory to the evil one. And do you know... What my experience of Satan, uh, well, how, what my experience of how Satan works is, he distracts. For me, all of a sudden, something like my work becomes all-consuming. I get too tired to read the Bible to Noah, or it's just too late. My prayer becomes limited just to my train journey to work, but because of the fact that I'm so tired, I'm using the time to have a sleep for some me time. My personal experience is that Satan's most effective way of limiting God's kingdom is that he distracts in small ways that eats up our energies to do the work that Jesus Christ wants us to do. If you decide to spend time with Christ in prayer, resting in his presence, praying and asking God to take Take our lives or your life and put it on a path so that our last prayer can be like Jesus' beautiful bookends. It is finished. I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you have asked me to do. If you decide to do that, be prepared for an attack that may be like a steam train hitting you or actually something much more subtle, like a huge distraction. Jesus knew the disciples had a hugely important work to do for God's kingdom And Jesus prayed for his disciples for protection from the evil one because he knew the evil one is bent on limiting God's plans. Why? Because it will limit the growth of God's kingdom. So what does that mean for us? I believe God wants us to be protected from the evil one. How does he do it? Well, he's God. He's all-powerful. He will protect. And I say amen to that. But he's also given us brains. And we need to be equipped. We need to keep God and his words close. And how do we do that? Well, I think there's three things in my experience. First of all, rest. If you're exhausted, rest. Second of all, prayer. And third of all, read God's word on a daily basis. That's how you keep God close, I believe. Rest, prayer, read God's word. Next plan for us, to be sanctified. Verse 16 and 18. They are not of this world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. I had to spend quite a lot of time writing this little part, actually, because I found the idea of sanctification quite a difficult concept to really come to terms with. So I hope I'm going to um, give it justice as I go through this next section. So let's go. So let's break this particular verse down to two sections. So, um, and I think that's helpful so that we can unpack it. The first bit, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. What does Jesus mean here? My starting point was that I was a bit confused by this. I was not immune to having a health scare. I've suffered bereavement. I've been hurt. I sin. I'm clearly human, and I'm clearly part of this world. So what does Jesus actually mean here? And then I began to realize that I believe there's a key marker that makes us Christians different, that makes us separate from the world. And that marker is, of course, the Holy Spirit. I believe there is one thing that all Christians, young And old have without fail. I believe that when you ask Jesus Christ into your life, then you are marked by the Holy Spirit. When we ask Jesus into our lives, that's exactly what happens. He comes into our lives, and the Holy Spirit indwells in us. We are different to others, we are not of the world. We are different, we are marked out by the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus was also marked by the Holy Spirit. So now let's look at this second bit. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. I believe once we are marked, then I believe Jesus wants us to go, go on a journey with him. And this is the important bit if you're struggling with the word sanctification. Sanctification is the effect of that journey. Sanctification is the effect of that journey that we go on with Jesus. If we go on a holiday, then the effect of that holiday is that we may come back with a beautiful tan. We may smile a little bit more, or depending on your holiday, you may smile a little bit less. And it's the same with sanctification. If we take the journey that Jesus Christ wants us to take, then there will be effects of us taking that journey. We become wiser. We become more mature in our faith, more like Jesus and less like the world. And the effects of us taking that journey is sanctification. When Jesus' concern was that he was saying is that, first of all, we're marked by the Holy Spirit. Justification. A one off event, we are justified. And then we grow, and that growth, and the effect of that growth is sanctification. So, what can we take from that? How do we apply this to our lives? Well, first of all, God wants us to be marked by the Holy Spirit, He wants us to give our lives to Him. It's a marker that separates us from the world. And once we are marked, then He wants us to grow through His Spirit. And the effects of that growth is sanctification. God wants us to be sanctified. Final point, God's plan for us to be united. When I was preparing for this sermon, I was reading some articles about unity on the internet and came across a great story of a little girl who was praying with her dad and said, Dear God, it must be really difficult for you to love everyone in our church all the time. There are only four people in my family, and I can never do it. And so when we come to the point, so we come to the point where Jesus is praying for the people who come to Jesus through the message, um, through the work of his disciples, i.e. us. And whilst he's praying for us, one of the key themes that he prays is for unity amongst believers. And this was clearly something that was really, really important to him because he repeats his prayer request two times in both verse 20 and 22. So why is unity so important to Jesus? I believe that so many people miss... What, sorry, what I believe that so many people miss in the world is a sense of belonging, a sense of family... In the UK, we now have a minister for loneliness and stats of around 48% of 18 18 to 24 year olds feeling lonely are often bantered around. If we as Christians are united despite having differences of opinion, then I don't believe it will just commend the gospel, but it will proclaim the gospel in a world where people are wishing for a sense of unity, a sense of belonging. Unity is a powerful witness in our world, I believe. Showing love to one another proclaims we are God. And it says that in the Bible. John 13 says, A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. And this is the important bit. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So how do we stay united? Really tough question. I think it's through regular and systematic study of God's word. We do that together. Through prayer, we should do that together. Through love and concern for each other and sacrificially giving to each other. For a great example of unity and its effects... Acts 2, 42 to 47, just a few pages on from what we're looking at now. Um, uh, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They sold their possessions, their goods they gave to everyone in need. But then there's this really interesting bit, again, that I'd read this passage so many times, but I'd missed this. Um, right at the, uh, the final verse, verse 47, they enjoyed the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily who were being saved. They enjoyed the favor of all the people. This is the effect of unity in the church. If we as God's people want to see people being saved, then we need to be united. But I believe I'm in a bit of danger of jumping into a whole new talk here. Um, So I'm going to stop at that point. But I hope it's clear that the effect of a united church is a powerful thing Slide. So, how to conclude? What we see um, in this prayer from Jesus is his passion for us, his people. Fundamentally, what I see in this prayer is the heart of Jesus, what his concern for his people are. Critically, what his concern for us is. And just to recap the four points one, God has given us children. Are we looking after them the way he wants us to? Two, God wants us to be protected from the evil one, to be living his gospel, not getting distracted. Three, God wants us to be sanctified, to go on a journey that he wants us to take. And four, God wants us to be united, that we love one another with a love based on God's word and a church life that is modelled I believe on the early church. We all know life on earth will finish for us all at some point. And my prayer is that we all finish this life well from a spiritual perspective. But what will our final prayer be at the end? I look to Jesus' prayer here in Gethsemane and passionately believe that all our final prayer should be like Jesus' beautiful bookends. When he prays for himself, it is finished. I have bought you glory by completing the works that you have enabled me to do. It is finished. I have bought you glory by completing the works that you have enabled me to do. And I stand here and just ask everyone. Will that be your final prayer? Will taking the path that he wants us to take and not taking our own path, will that model what we do for the rest of our days here on earth? Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you love us love us so much that you came down to earth and prayed for us in the Garden of Gethsemane, a prayer that has reached through the centuries. And personally, I thank you that it landed on my heart. And I pray that some of those seeds that have landed on my heart may land on others here today as well. And Father, just be with us. Keep molding us, shaping us, and leading us right up until um, our last days. Help us to stay on your path that you want us to take and I really pray father that we all finish so we can lift our heads up high and pray with victory just like you did it is finished I have completed the works that you have enabled me to do be with us father I pray in Jesus name